Well, good morning, church. We are heading back into uh, 1 Peter. We're going to continue our series that we began earlier in the year. I think it was actually in March when we began the series. And so we are now coming to the point where we're going to end the series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to be uh, we're looking at verses 18 through 22. And this is probably one of the most controversial, confusing, and possibly even misunderstood passages of Scripture. And I'm going to make it very easy today for you to understand. I'm just kidding. I have done my own study in this, just like so many of you, and I hope and I pray that what I present to you today is biblically correct and God-glorifying and believer-edifying. So if you're over in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're looking at verses 18 through 22, um, that's going to be our primary text, but let's start from verse 17 just to, to add a little context because this verse is going to come into play later on. But I know it's probably not on the screen, that's okay. But here's what we read For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now into our text for today. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but, that, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Father, this morning as we look into this passage, guide us in the way of truth. Give us clarity and understanding for your name's sake. In Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have a tendency to think that the religious freedoms that we enjoy, the ones that we're so familiar with all our lives, are the norm. The reality is, they're not the norm. The religious freedoms that you and I are so used to in our country are the exception. I'm also convinced that because of our long-standing religious freedoms, that we've become so comfortable in everything that when we do experience hardships in our lives, in other areas, as in not, we're not particularly suffering for Christ, but as we suffer in other areas of life, whether it's cut wages or the loss of a job or health issues or, or um, any sort of illness or disease or the passing of a child or a parent or you can add a number of things to this list. Instead of experiencing a steadfast faith in those times, some believers find their faith spiraling out of control 
and questioning God's motives and questioning God's goodness. And so I'm glad to continue our series back in 1 Peter again, which will help our faith, I believe, to endure. Now, when, when this letter was written, it was written around 63, 64, or 65 AD, Christianity had been growing for about 30 years after Christ's ascension to heaven. And in those 30 years, yes, Christianity had grown significantly by leaps and bounds, but had, had also experienced a lot of resistance. They had endured a lot of persecution. Now, of course, there had been seasons where Christians experienced times of peace and times of abundance and so forth, but it had been no stranger to persecution, none at all. In fact, to become a Christian in those days was to embrace the fact and the reality that very possibly you may have to suffer and even give your life in death. And so Peter wrote this letter right around the same time that the city of Rome was burnt down, around 64, 65 AD. Nero, of course, as we know, was the emperor. And Nero has started this conspiracy that it was actually the Christians who had burnt down the city. And so, under Nero's orders, persecution was the order of the day against Christians. And we've heard of the atrocities of what happened to the Christians in those days. But here's the thing. When you are convinced of who Jesus Christ is, when you believe that salvation is through him, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, you cannot deny Christ. And so the believers in those days, they would rather lay down their livelihoods and give up their lives before they could deny Christ because this was the truth. But having been treated with such hostility and having been outright rejected by society, it begged the question, how are they to live in a society that has robbed them of all of their freedoms and their religious rights and that have treated them so hostile? So Peter writes this letter to answer that question. And in the first part of this letter, Peter reminds them of their identity, of who they are in Christ. In verse, chapter 1, verse 9, we read, Peter writes and says, You are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then in verse 10, he says, Because you are the people of God. That's who you are. And then he reminds them of their purpose in this life, even in their season of suffering. In verse 9, again, he says, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's the purpose, even in the season that they were in. And then he moves on in the letter having informed them of who they are and reminds them of how they ought to conduct themselves in such a hostile environment. Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. 
But he doesn't stop there. We're like, okay, that sounds good. And in fact, I've actually heard this view, this verse used out of context in this COVID season as to how we ought to respond to our government as though we should rebel against them. But Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says this. He says in verse 21 of chapter 2, submit yourselves to your masters with all respects, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust or to the harsh. And then in verse Oh, sorry, that was verse 18, and then 21, he says, for to this you were called. Ouch, ouch. For to this you were called. You were called by God to live in that season of suffering so that you could proclaim the excellencies of God, and in that season, what would be demanded of you that you would live as Christ-honoring people, God-glorifying people, and one of the ways you do that is you submit to the governing authorities because by doing so, you're submitting to God. But even when the rulers are unjust and harsh and unfair, yes, yes. So even for us, brothers and sisters, when things don't go for us the way we think they should, we need to remember that you and I are God's children, and we need to act like it. Then in the rest of this letter, Peter is going to give them the secret of enduring in such difficult seasons. So the series that we're starting today we simply entitled Endurance. So the passage that I read for you at the opening here, how does this strange, confusing passage encourage us to endure? I want to show you four different ways. One, by reminding us of Christ and his purposes. Secondly, by reminding us of Christ's faithfulness. Thirdly, by reminding us of our union with Christ. And fourthly, by reminding us of the supremacy of Christ. So let's see how we're motivated to endure by being reminded of Christ's purposes. So verse 18, here's what we read. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So in this verse here now, how does being reminded of Christ's purposes in bringing the unrighteous, or Christ suffering for the unrighteous, so that they might become righteous and bring them to God, how does that help us to endure in this day and age? Or how would it have helped the believers in their day? By reminding us of this. I have a couple of subpoints here. The first one being this. Jesus also suffered. Jesus also suffered. You see, whereas Christ suffered for our sins, we suffer because of sins. But we're not alone in our suffering because of sin. Christ endured the ultimate suffering. And when we go through the scriptures, we see that this is actually the way of the cross. It is the way of Christ. And we should expect it. In fact, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, Peter writes in this letter, he says, Beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. He, now mark that. He says, look, don't be surprised. This shouldn't be strange. Suffering for Christ should not be strange to you. But then he goes on. He says this, but rejoice. Oh, hold on a minute. Rejoice in suffering? Listen, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Are you and I there? We, we haven't even really experienced true persecution as those who were that Peter was writing to, who knew that today may be my last day. Some of these that he's writing to, their fathers are in prisons. Their mothers have been taken away. Their kids have been removed. They've lost all their goods. They've lost their homes and their lands. They've lost everything for their faith in Christ. And Peter's encouragement to them, rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. When we look at this context here, do you think maybe you and I could find ways to rejoice in this COVID season? When everything within you, if you're anything like me, there's this bubbling up within you that's just, that wants to push back. That's what I feel within myself, right? And then I read this. And the word of God begins to chastise me. It says rejoice in this season. Rejoice. But my flesh doesn't want to do that. So you see, what we actually need is a godly perspective on suffering. We need to understand that there is no greater honor than to share in the sufferings of Christ and there's no greater honor, and whenever Christians suffer at all in any way, that in that season, to glorify and to magnify God in the way that we live. In fact, he gives us several reasons as to why we should rejoice when we suffer for Christ's sake. In Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, we read, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Oh, goodness. Boy, if there's something that's important to us, it's our, it's our own reputation, is it not? And yet here he writes and he says, man, if they say false things against you because of me, because you believe in me, because you trust in me, rejoice. Even if you're, you are being slandered, he goes on, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. You know what we need here? We need a heavenly mindset and a mindset that's looking at eternity, not here and now. We need to look at the long game, not the short game. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 reminds us that indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
The second way, being reminded of Christ and his purposes motivate us to endure. Listen to this. It might sound a little strange. As Christ's sufferings had purpose, so does ours. You get that? Just as Christ's sufferings had purpose, so does ours. Yes, even in this season, folks, even with what you and I are experiencing right now, there is purpose in this. Look at verse 18 again. It says this. It says, for Christ also suffered. See, he's making a connection here for the believers. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You see, Jesus' suffering was not because of anything that he had done. He was innocent in everything. It was for everything that we had done wrong. So he endured the rejection of his own people or by his own people. He endured the hostility of man. And those weren't even the greatest things that he suffered. But he stood in our place and he absorbed God's wrath on our part. He absorbed God's wrath that was meant for me and for you. And the effect of his suffering, here's the thing, the effect of his suffering produced our salvation. It was his suffering that brought us to God. Our salvation, listen, our salvation was the result of Christ's willingness to suffer wrongfully. And so our suffering also serves the purposes of Christ. Having looked at how Christ also suffered, see that word also is important. Now let's go back to verse 17 of chapter 3. Now let's look at this connection. He says this, for it is better to suffer for doing good if, listen, if it should be God's will, right? It was God's will that Christ should suffer, and even now, it's God's will for us to experience what we're experiencing. He says, it's better to suffer if it should be God's will than for doing evil for, for, or because, as an example, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. You see, notice what he's doing here. He's connecting our suffering to the sufferings of Christ. He's saying, your suffering is not unique. Your suffering is not a surprise, right? You should be aware of this. Listen, your suffering is connected to or related to the sufferings of Christ. Just as, listen, just as when we sum this up, just as Christ's suffering brought us to God, so our suffering will bring others to Christ. You hear that? Just as Christ's suffering brought us to God, so our suffering will bring others to Christ. And history has so proven that the suffering of Christians brings others to Christ. Over and over again, in fact, so much so that already in A.D. 197, 
One of our early church fathers by the name of Tertullian stated that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. In other words, the suffering of Christians will bring others to faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. And so this passage motivates us to endure by reminding us of Christ's sufferings and his purposes and that our suffering is also connected to his purposes. Secondly, this passage also motivates us to endure by reminding us of Christ's faithfulness. Now, let's look at verses 19 and 20. It goes on, speaking of Jesus, and it says this, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Okay. Now, I realize there's a lot of confusion and a lot of controversy around this passage. And although I have been studying this passage, I would say probably three or four years to try to understand this, I believe I have the right understanding. However, I do not claim infallibility. What I'm saying is there's a possibility that, yes, indeed, I may be wrong how I interpret this passage. But let me share with you the way I understand it. You see, part of this confusion when we read this passage here comes by incorrectly connecting verse, verse 18 with verse 19. You see, in verse 18, it talks about Jesus being put to death in the flesh but being made alive in the spirit. And then right after that, so if you follow the, the timeline here, if you just read it at face value, it says that after Christ was made alive in the spirit, that he was, after he was raised, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who had disobeyed back in the days of Noah. So it sounds like, wait a minute, what? So after Jesus died, he was when he was raised in the spirit, he went and he preached to those people who, had, who were now in prison. That's the term that Peter uses here. That had disobeyed in Noah's day. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I don't think so. Here's what I believe he's saying. He's saying this. After Jesus died, you see, let me just put this, my thought out here. After Jesus died... He was made alive in the spirit. Just like he was alive in the spirit in the days of Noah. Follow me on this. In that day, when he was in the spirit in Noah's day, he preached through Noah to those who were disobedient at that time, but who are now in prison because of their disobedience back then. I hope that makes sense, because we don't have, oftentimes, the more, the more I try to clarify something, the more confusing it gets, just ask my wife. So I'm going to try and leave it there. But the question is, Jake, how do, why do you believe that? Here's why. Let me go back to the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. We have a very interesting passage there. And Peter says this. 
Concerning this salvation, the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, the prophets, now Noah was a prophet. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Listen to this. Inquiring what person or time, listen, here it is, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Did you see that? So in the Old Testament, the spirit of Christ was within the prophets. And he was speaking and prophesying and preaching through the prophets. Noah was one of those prophets. And it was the spirit of Christ in him preaching through him. And so, the, so we understand this now, right? So the spirit of Christ was in Noah, preaching through Noah to those who were disobedient in Noah's day. So now, what's the point in this? How does this remind us of Christ's faithfulness, or how does, how, does, how does this motivate suffering believers to endure? Here's what I think one of the things that we see. Hey, as Jesus was with Noah, so he is with us. See, we see the faithfulness of God when Jesus was with Noah in the spirit, as Noah was scorned and mocked and rejected by society for his faith in God as he preached. In the same manner, the spirit of Christ is with us when we suffer for him. He has not left us alone, nor will he ever leave us alone. You see, here's what we need to remember. Suffering for Christ is not an indication that God has left us. It's not an indication that he's left the believer, but that he is, in fact, with them. Now, when we talk about suffering for Christ, I mean we're actually suffering for our faith in him, not because we've done something that we deserve to be treated differently for. So suffering because of your faith in Christ is an indicator that Christ is with us. In fact, as we know, Jesus said in Matthew 18 um, or 28 verse 19, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And in Hebrews 13, 5, we're told that where he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. You see, Christ was with the believers in the Old Testament he was with the believers of the New Testament as they suffered and died for their faith in Jesus. And Christ will be with us as we suffer for his name's sake as well. Secondly, I believe this passage motivates us to endure by reminding us of Christ's faithfulness when we see that suffering is the result of God's patience. Folks, I really want you to grab onto this one. It encourages to endure when we see that suffering is the result of God's patience. You see, verse 20 tells us that God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Or in other words, God was patient in the days of Noah 
while the ark was being built. Notice what he doesn't say here. He's not saying that he was waiting for people to repent. He was waiting to see if anyone else would believe. That's not what we see. Mo, or sorry, Noah was preaching, right? Christ was preaching through him, but the emphasis here is on those who would be saved in the ark. Noah and his family endured the suffering because God was patiently waiting for the ark to be built. That's the emphasis here in this passage. You see, had God not waited patiently for the ark to be built, Noah and his family would have also been destroyed. So wrap your minds around this passage here for a moment and the message that he's sending to us in this. God, why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to go through what I have to go through? God, why are Christians being slaughtered in the Middle East? Why are Christians dying? Where are you, God? I'm being patient. I'm being patient. Because remember, had God not been patient in Noah's day, Noah, his wife, and all their family also would have been destroyed. So can we thank God for his patience in whatever suffering we may endure that may come our way? Can we see God's mercy in it? I hope that really rings a bell for us. Thirdly, this passage motivates us to endure by reminding us of our union with Christ. And so this passage, as strange and as confusing as it is, now seems to jump on a totally different subject here. And Peter now talks about baptism. In verse 21, and I'm just going to walk right through this passage and just kind of add my own commentary through it. Peter goes on and says, having talked about Noah and the flood, he now says this. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this. Well, what's baptism correspond with? Well, the ark and the flood. That's what he's referring to. And then he states, he makes a strange statement where he says that baptism now saves you. Hmm. Wait a minute here, right? Because we believe that water baptism itself does not save us. And it does. In fact, Peter qualifies his statement here when he says, baptism now saves you. He says this. Not as a removal of dirt from the body. And I think the point he's making here is that the way they would practice baptism those days, like we do here now, is they would immerse you totally underwater. And so he's saying it's not the physical act of baptism. That's what I believe he's saying, and just has a, an interesting way of putting it. But he says, but here's, this is how, this is what he's talking about. But as an appeal to God... For a good conscience. An appeal to God for a conscience that can be free from guilt of sin and death. Free from condemnation and the judgment of God. But how do we accomplish this then? He tells us how it's accomplished. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about our union 
with Christ. You see, the only baptism that saves is when our conscience condemns us because of our sinfulness and we acknowledge and we recognize that we realize we need a savior. And so then by faith, we then call out to God to give us a clean conscience. And how do we get that clean conscience? Through Jesus Christ and what he's done. That's how. Through the working of Jesus Christ. And God in his mercy joins us to Christ in the spirit. I'm going to use that same language. Just as Jesus was in Noah, in the spirit, preaching through him, God joins us to Christ in the spirit and baptizes us into Christ's death, into his burial, and into his resurrection. This is the beauty of the gospel. That's what he's talking about. That's how we get this clean conscience. So how does this union or our union with Jesus Christ motivate us to endure? Here's how. By reminding us that because of our union with Christ, having been joined to him in baptism from the wrath of God, because of Christ Jesus, being in Christ Jesus, we now have a clear and clean conscience forever. That's how. Regardless of what we're experiencing, regardless of what we have to suffer through, we can endure because we are forever united to Christ. That should give us great comfort. That should increase our hope, possibly even our joy. But fourthly, This passage motivates us to endure by reminding us of the supremacy of Christ. Verse 22 tells us, speaking about Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, listen, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Means they're put under his authority. All things have been subjected to him. All things have been put under his authority. He rules supreme over everything. Folks, Jesus rules over COVID. If we should have to suffer for our faith in Christ in our lifetime in this country, Jesus will reign over that situation and that time and those rulers in that day as well. Because you see, throughout the scriptures, we're told, for example, even in Daniel, that it is God who raises up kings and removes kings. Matthew tells us that the winds and the waves obey his commands. Mark tells us that even the demons fear his name and obey his commands. He rules and he reigns over everything. All things are subject to Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even when everything seems to be going off the rails, when it looks like everything is going down the drain, he's still perfectly in control. And nothing, nothing can stop his will and his way. 
How much don't we need that reminder right now? Right? All things are subject to Jesus Christ. Therefore, when COVID hits and the world seems to be spiraling into the abyss of fear and anxiety, our faith endures because we know that Christ reigns supreme. When Christians are called to suffer for his name's sake, we endure because we know that our sufferings are connected to the purposes of Christ. We can endure because we know of his faithfulness. If he was with Noah, he's with us. And so even though we may not suffer for our faith in Christ, we need to remember in that whatever sufferings do come our way, our faith can endure. So when our health fails, when the economy collapses, when we lose our jobs, when our loved ones become sick and there's no cure, no remedy, When a loved one dies, we have this strength from God and we can, our faith can endure because he is above all and in all. This passage reminds us of God's faithfulness in all things. And when things fall apart, even in our own lives, our faith endures because of our union with Christ. See, it's not because of who we are, but because of who he is and our union with him. And he reigns supreme over everything. Brothers and sisters, this COVID season, I would encourage us to do this. First of all, Whatever we do, let us make sure we do it in a way that has been provided for us by legal means, but even beyond that, above all, let us stand fast in our faith. Let us endure, recognizing that he is in control. And in this season right now, what the world needs to see is Christians enduring, Christians experiencing joy, not because of what's going on, but because we know that Jesus is reigning supreme. Pray with me. Father, we are weak people and there are times where we feel like either you have left us or abandoned us or we question your motives as to why we're going through things or why you don't change things when you could so easily change them. And Lord, we are so much like Job in these things. But Father, I just pray 
I just pray, Lord, that we would be reminded of what we just saw in the scriptures here today. That we would be reminded of your faithfulness. That we would be reminded that, yes, even now in the season of what we're experiencing, that our purposes or the purposes that you have us here now are connected to your purposes. I pray, Lord, that our faith would endure. I pray that we would see your faithfulness from the beginning of creation to the very end of time because you'll never leave us nor forsake us. I pray, Father, that we would be reminded of Jesus' supremacy over all things. I pray, Lord, in this season that our church here and the churches in our community would rise up and show that faith in Christ is not just some, something that we mention and keep in our back pockets, Lord, and then isn't visible when suffering comes upon us, but that in the times of suffering, that we then stand up and we stand strong and we point the world to Christ. Just reminding all the world of who Jesus is and that he is sovereign and in control. Father, if there are those here today who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would move in their hearts to cause them to call out by faith on Jesus Christ and to trust in him. And Lord, for those of us who have already known you and are in you, I pray that we would be encouraged and lifted up that you are in control. And so, Lord, may it be evident within us as your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.